0: Welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, hello 2021. We're so happy that the new year has come, even though it's just an arbitrary day based on the movements of planets and things in the sky. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that we're out of the woods yet as far as things go, but I think with a new year, there's always kind of a new hope. Yeah, that uh, things are going to get better. And so that's one of these rituals we cling to. Um, (laughs) Another one of the rituals we cling to here on Two Guys in a Chainsaw is giving tribute to people who have recently passed away, who have been a strong influence or actor or director somehow connected to the horror film community. And last year, we, of course, saw a few more deaths than usual. And while we were able to get some tribute episodes in, we still found a few prominent actors and directors that we didn't have a chance to squeeze in before the end of the year. So uh, here we are at the beginning of the year, and we thought, what better way, following our New Year's episode, than to look back at 2020. And so uh, one of the most famous stars, I guess you could say, um, although maybe many people wouldn't know him if he they walk by him down the street, uh, certainly he's been a part of almost all of our childhoods and a huge part of pop culture is David Prowse. Uh, David Prouse is most famous for playing Darth Vader in Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy. He was a six foot six inch tall bodybuilder from Bristol. Uh, he was born in 1935. And much like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Lou Ferrigno and, and folks like that, who actually he did know personally, he got into filmmaking, although he did that before they did. Yep. One of his very first forays into film was with a company called Hammer. Uh, Hammer, you folks may know, we've done, I think, one Hammer film, right, Craig? One or two?
1: Yeah. Here on the podcast. Only one that I can remember.
0: Yeah, not too many so far, although there is a huge catalog for us to hit. Real quick about Hammer Films, it is a studio that came into being around the 50s, and uh, they, I think their very first big hit, although they did stuff besides horror. Horror turned out to be their niche after The Curse of Frankenstein came out in 1957. Have you seen The Curse of Frankenstein, Craig, by chance?
1: No, no, I haven't. I've not seen many Hammer films at all. I mean, these are the movies that my dad grew up on, but Hmm. by the time I came around, you know, (laughs) even (laughs) he was kind of past those. But yeah, I I feel like the Hammer pictures and the Universal Monsters, you know, those were kind of our father's and, and even grandfather's generation. And I just haven't delved very much into them.
0: Yeah, you're right. Well, definitely the Universal Monsters are our grandfather's generation and maybe our fathers as kids seeing them yeah. on TV or something like that. Although the Universal Monsters did go well into, I guess, it, I guess into the 60s when our parents were, uh, were, were young, younger in high school uh, and they were all filmed in black and white. And one of the innovations that Hammer did was basically they took the Frankenstein story and changed it as much as possible so that they wouldn't get sued by Universal for making a copycat. Uh, and released The Curse of Frankenstein, starring Peter Cushing. And what they did was, they made Frankenstein into a dick. (laughs) They made... uh, And and remember, Frankenstein's not the monster. Frankenstein, Victor von Frankenstein, is the guy who makes the monster. The scientist, yeah. Yeah, the scientist. And, you know, that older picture with Universal was sort of a misunderstood genius, you know, kind of brooding by himself in his lab. But this guy that Peter Cushing plays as Baron von Frankenstein... Uh, is sort of self-absorbed, narcissistic, almost sociopathic Mm -hmm. character, doesn't really care about anyone, is totally focused on his research and his science, and is really willing to do anything to get it, and basically has very few morals, (laughs) if any. And so that was a pretty powerful twist on the story. And by filming it in color, and also upping the gore, adding the gore I would say yeah. uh, and then in later years when the British censors allowed it at throwing a lot of nudity in there um, this became you know what made Hammer films wildly successful very similar in a way to what Roger Corman did in the States in fact You could say Roger Corman copied from Hammer, especially with his Edgar Allan Poe series that he did uh, in the 50s Mm. and 60s. Hammer was known at the time as one of the most copied film studios ever, is what people called it, because they were so successful with this formula. And this formula, for the longest time, was running these gothic horror films where you have these huge, lavish sets. Most of them take place in castles and they're period pieces, but with this sort of classic monster fair and this edge of of having more gore and being in color and fantastic actors (laughs) in their stable. Mm. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee with the Dracula series ran for the longest time. But by the time we come to this movie uh, that we've chosen, which is Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, They were not doing too hot. This film came out in uh, several years after it was filmed. It was filmed in 1972, I think, or 71, but didn't really hit most theaters until 74. Had a very short release. Wasn't well received critically. And it was actually not only the last in the Frankenstein series that Hammer did, but one of the last Hammer films ever before the company kind of went under. So by the time they came to make this film, they weren't doing too well money-wise, and they were struggling and trying to find some new formulas and new ways to make money. In the States, this was released in a a double bill with a movie called Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, which I would love to see (laughs) sometime, which was their, their attempt at really kind of like creating a franchise again. Uh, taking a different take with the vampire hunter van helsing kind of story um, but that also didn't do too well either although i hear it's worth a watch that movie i don't know we'll, we'll probably get to it at some point when we do our vampire series <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway what i'm trying to say is um this is sort of the tail end of these of these movies and david Prouse approached hammer in the midst of them doing these Frankenstein movies, and asked to play Frankenstein in one of their films. Like, walked into the offices and says, you guys need to have me as Frankenstein. And uh, for a while, they, they really weren't listening to him. And had Frankenstein played by different... Frankenstein's monster, I'm sorry, played by different characters um, in all of the other films. But then he got a part in Casino Royale, which is kind of a James Bond spoof uh-huh. that came out uh, a couple years before this. He had a brief stint as a Frankenstein's monster in that, which was just a little cameo-type role, but he was tall and imposing and had more of the Universal-style flathead look. Um, They said, all right, yeah, we'll hire you. And they hired him for not this film, but the one that came before it. And I'm bringing this up (laughs) because when I was looking at the two movies that we could watch, I was trying to debate between which of these two Frankenstein movies that David Prowse starred in with Hammer we would see. We had our choice between this one Uh, And the one that came uh, just a couple years before it called The Horror of Frankenstein. And at first, I thought The Horror of Frankenstein sounded interesting because this was another one of their attempts to kind of reboot their series. They uh, hired uh, an author who wrote the script and basically rewrote their original Curse of Frankenstein story, but with a younger lead and a little more of like a sarcastic wit and a lot more humor. So I watched it. Uh, I said, Craig, let's do this one. Let's watch The Horror of Frankenstein. And I found it and sent it to him. And I think I watched it before he did. Right? Did you watch it?
1: Yeah, I I didn't get around to it.
0: Good. Because it's not a bad movie for what it is. But as far as a tribute to David Prowse, we wouldn't have been happy with it. Because he comes in, you know, about 20 minutes from the end as the monster. And he really gets to do nothing but lumber around and kill people mindlessly. Uh, It's just not a very good showcase of any bit of acting talent whatsoever. Not his fault, you know, just the way that they had the monster in that movie. Right. So uh, I said, quick, 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 Uh, this movie, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, is available on Amazon Prime for free, if you have Amazon Prime. So we watched it, and I'm so glad, man, after watching the two of these films, I'm glad that at least this one uh, is going to be a more fitting tribute to David Prowse. We're going to be able to talk about him and his acting in this film a lot more and better than we would have from The Horror of Frankenstein. He's the only actor, by the way, to have... Played Frankenstein more than once in the Hammer film Frankenstein series, hmm. but then after this, I think a few years after this, he reunited with Peter Cushing uh, and played mm-hmm. his iconic role of Darth Vader, and that by far is of course the movie that people remember him for the most. and And he didn't do much acting after that. <laughs> yeah, right. God, so there's my really long-winded intro. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, and, and of course. I don't need, I, when you told me that, uh, David Prouse had died, I was like, oh, that's sad. Who's David Prouse? You know, I, I wouldn't have known him from anything, but of course, our generation, Star Wars, it was huge. And, and not that it's not still, but not to the extent that it was in the 80s when we were growing up. And, yeah insane darth vader is one of the iconic villains of our time and you know david Prouse he didn't voice the character james earl jones of course voiced the character did david Prouse okay so when um when luke unmasks vader right before he dies is that david Prouse? no i don't think it was was it nope, no it's not So you never, I mean, you never even see the guy, but he's huge and he's imposing and uh, I I don't know even know what to say about it. I I think that it takes. And some might disagree with me. I don't know. You put a guy in a big, scary suit. He's a huge guy. Um Some people might think, you, you know, basically he was a hanger for the costume. But I don't feel that way. I feel oh, no. without, his, without his physical presence, that character would have been something entirely different. And uh, so he's an icon in my mind for that reason. This is presumably the only other thing I have seen him in as far as I know. Um, I know that he was also famous in England for playing a superhero type character that like went around the country teaching kids about like road safety.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and he did that for decades and was very popular uh in that character. And I also know that there was a little bit of controversy with his role in Star Wars. I don't know if he was difficult to work with, most everything you read is rumors and there are conflicting stories on either side that rumor has it that he initially wasn't pleased, that he wasn't going to be voicing the character and that he was vocally critical of that decision. And George Lucas, you know, you can find quotes from him where he says that uh, this guy, David Prowse, just um, burned too many bridges to continue on. I, I, I mean, I guess... He was in the whole trilogy, the original trilogy, um, but I guess there was some tension there. I, ultimately, I think that Prowse was, you know, very gracious about his opportunity to play the role, and he was very gracious with meeting with fans at conventions and Star Wars events and stuff like that, and, and I, I think that he embraced it regardless of whatever tension there may have been while he was playing it. But uh, that's, you know, that's what I know him from. And now, of course, I've seen this. And, uh, you know, y- you asked me about what my experience is with Hammer. And I I just, I haven't seen many of them. I'm very much aware of them. I-, I just, it's, you know, this, this isn't a surprise to you. I'm just really not drawn to these older movies. That's not to say that I don't, find them interesting from a historical perspective. It's just not what I choose to watch for entertainment. Yeah. Um, so I was interested to watch this, and it was an interesting movie. I, I wish that I knew more about the ones that preceded it, because if the ones that preceded it are like this, I am not surprised that this was the last one, because I, I, I think that my biggest complaint and i and i don't have many complaints really about the movie but my biggest complaint is that this is just the frankenstein story mary shelley's frankenstein in a mental institution yeah that's it, that's <laughs> like... <basically laughs> it <right>? yeah. <laughs> you know it, instead of igor being a physically mutated kind of character which i i read the book in high school i don't even remember it i think i remember it being boring (laughs) but uh you know in in the original old movies black and white you know igor is this hunchback kind of character instead of that we've got a beautiful female mute who is the assistant
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah who surprisingly is is covered up (laughs) <laughs> considerably well. I know. I, I'm so surprised. I was shocked not to see Cleavage in this. I mean, I'm telling you. If, I was too. If you had seen the movie before this, there is so much sex. Frankenstein <laughs> uh, Frankenstein is getting it on like every 15 minutes with his assistant in that movie, who is a 16-year-old servant at his house. Ew. Yes. it's cr- Oh, who used to bang his father? Ew. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That movie. And... And it is, and I mean, it, her, there is cleavage throughout and no nudity, surprisingly, no nudity for as much sex and and innuendo as there is as there is in it. But when she ever, like, they make a point of every time this woman bends over, there's just full-on cleavage right there in front of the camera. Jeez. It's so gratuitous. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, this movie's pretty modest in that respect. It
0: is, surprisingly.
1: There, there is some gore some fun practical uh, effects going on but i don't know i i'll be interested to hear what you thought about it and i'm not gonna say i didn't like it it's just i, I don't know it the, the story was so familiar it, it just didn't do much for, There there wasn't enough different and new and innovative about it to really pique my interest. It was fine, but I've seen Frankenstein. So there was, you know
0: I mean? there was nothing new and innovative about this 1974 film to really get you there, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you what mean I mean. You mean from the Frankenstein in story. Of, in
1: terms of the story. Yeah, yeah.
0: I know what you're saying. It is, yeah, you're right. It is, it is almost a hash-for-hash hash kind of retelling of the Frankenstein story yet again in a mental institution with these small tweaks. I, you know, I think also obviously it's a different time people had a taste for these kinds of gothic yeah. overdone productions you know for a while and they were cranking them out like crazy and uh i'm uh, i've always been a big fan of these because a, like I told you before, my dad was into this kind of stuff. Not so much the horror. He was a lot more into the science fiction. But this kind of thing would pop up every now and then, especially on network television on Saturday afternoons, right after the cartoons were done. Yeah, It would be exactly this kind of film. It would either be a Hammer film or a Roger Corman gothic film, you know, starring Vincent Price, like one of his Ed Groundpoe ones. Right. Uh, And so I think just for me growing up with that as one of my first introductions to horror, even at the time as a kid, I can't say they really scared me. (laughs) They're not really scary films, I would say. Some of them have some pretty creepy things going on and uh, some themes that are kind of messed up. And, you know, the vampire ones especially, it doesn't take much for vampires to be, you know, creepy and scary. But at the end of the day, you know, we've moved on from this kind of thing. And part of the problem, really, why this movie didn't do so well is everybody in 1974 was losing a taste for this stuff. I mean, right. uh, they've been done to death. And uh, you had Night... What was it? A Night of the Living Dead, I think, was in 1968. So not, not long before this. And Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, came after this. So we were we were leaving this older style of horror, the monster movies, and getting more into the cerebral kind of psychological horror. Oh, The Exorcist was a year or two before this. So, I mean, come on, following The Exorcist and stuff, who's gonna come out and watch, you know, Frankenstein once again going through his lab and creating a monster?
1: Right, and and I'm already second-guessing my own criticism, because somebody, you know, your son's generation will look back at the movies that we grew up with and they'll say the same thing that I just said yeah. you know the, the, they'll they'll look at Friday the 13th, 1 through 40, and say, well, they were all pretty much the same. Well, they were. <laughs> they were all pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's not even a fair criticism. I don't want to get too down on it. it. It, it's, it's got a charm to it. I did like the gothic atmosphere. I liked the score. Um, the acting is, is perfectly fine.
0: Well, the acting's fantastic, I think.
1: So, yeah. Peter Cushing, I don't know. I just, I felt like his character was a little bit flat, but you know, his, his Victor Frankenstein character is a little bit flat. And then it was kind of, I don't know. The way that it starts is you've got this young scientist, Dr. Helder, played by Shane Bryant, who looked like a young James Spader to me from the yeah. beginning. <laughs> he is doing Experiments. He he's following in Frankenstein's footsteps. In fact, he's using his he's using Frankenstein's books um, to do these experiments, trying to put together uh, a man. And he's hired a gravedigger who gets caught by the police, and then the pol- you know that leads them to him, Doctor Helder, and he ends up being arrested and tried for sorcery.
0: In fact, we have a precedent to your
1: case. I find that some years ago, a certain baron was sentenced by this court for a very similar offence.
0: Baron? Who? That is no concern of yours. Frankenstein. (laughs) You appear to have heard of him. I'm not surprised. I have all his books, his
1: lectures to the Academy. To return to your case, as I say, I have decided to extend my leniency to its limits. By only sentencing you to be committed to the state asylum for the criminally insane for a period of five years. And as soon as he gets there, he meets the lame, bumbling, nasty director of the asylum. And he asks him about Frankenstein and the director says, oh, yeah, he was he was here, but he's dead. I'll show you the grave like (laughs) lame.
0: Well, you didn't like... I mean, this is John Stratton. He's he, he he's a iconic guy. He's been in a thousand things and a very well-respected actor. I thought, you know, I mean, I thought that he played... I mean, I think the character was supposed to be over the top.
1: He was, for sure. But
0: I thought he played it really well. He just... Feels not just shady, but also a little bum- bumbling and lecherous, all kind of at the same time. Gross! Right? He's a sweat furrowing from his brow every the whole time he's he's on screen. I I kind of liked this. I mean, I liked this character as, and I thought he was a likable person. But I I really enjoyed right. this character on the screen. I thought he was interestingly drawn, maybe more interest more interesting than Victor Frankenstein. I don't know. Maybe, but. You don't agree, huh?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it was. I don't know the guy. I don't know what else he's been in. It was a little cartoonish, but so what? You know, uh, it's a right. Frankenstein movie. That's fine. And and he's meant to be villainous, and being a little bit cartoonish as a villain is, you know, it's par for the course. It, 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 it didn't bother me. And and he's he's not in the movie a lot. I mean, no. he's a side character. But anyway, so the guards. Um, I, I guess that. Uh, Helder is acting a little bit too uppity for their liking so they take him and to humiliate him, I guess um, hose him down with a fire hose and it's a long scene where he's getting hosed down in front of these other Inmates who, and the other inmates. It's funny. Anytime you see these types of movies with people in a mental institution, like they're just so comically drawn. Yeah. Um. But it's typical. It's not bad. It's just very typical. And that's when Frankenstein shows up.
0: I would say in a movie like this, it's kind of what I want to see anyway. You know, it's like an old fashioned yeah, right. movie. Anyway. But did you find it funny that did they have? Modern style fire hoses back then? <laughs> I don't know. What is it supposed to be? I it's supposed think to be so. like 17th century or something. They're turning this like super high pressure fire hose on him that they have in the basement of this asylum. I...
1: That's powerful enough to bloody him. Yeah. To, give him, <laughs> yeah, to like <laughs>
0: scrape and scratch him up and give him welts and stuff. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Frankenstein makes a dramatic entrance.
1: And he shows up and, and the. <sighs> The deal is that Frankenstein and the Doctor faked Frankenstein's death so that then Frankenstein could be, like, the asylum physician. And he goes by Dr. Victor now. It's suggested very early on that Frankenstein has some dirt on the director, which is how he was able to finagle this position. But whatever. So now he's the physician at the asylum and Peter Cushing is dressed to the nines, you know, like in coattails and, you know, he looks great and he's got a great presence also. And then it just goes from there. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. We meet Sarah, who's the beautiful mute. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sarah kind of walks out of the inmates, right? Like at first I thought she was one of the inmates because she's watching this guy get hosed down and... And then as soon as Frankenstein shows up, he calls her out from the crowd and says, Sarah, come over, come with me and bandage up his wounds. And I thought, that's strange. And then they go to the director's office real quick and he knocks on the door. Victor is actually going to, to report that those two guys did that to the to Simon. And it's interesting, like he hears noises in there when he opens the door, a girl comes out kind of holding her clothes. I mean, it's, this guy's like raping an inmate. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. I mean, what a scumbag guy. And, uh, and Frankenstein dresses him up and down for it. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was an interesting dynamic between those two. Two kind of scummy people, but one of them has the pretense of respectability because he's a serious scientist. And anyway, it's kind of a means to an end for him anyway. Uh, and so they're able to kind of, I help you, you help me. But even Frankenstein's got his limits. Right, I, You know, I'm not sure what those limits are, but I guess it was, uh, these are his patients, right? These are his patients. And so he's kind of protective of his patients in a way. <laughs> but he's still going to use them to meet his what he what he wants to do his his real work which is his scientific work and so right. Simon is actually kind of a protege of his yes. because he's doing similar he's been doing similar work why he got the you know the grave robbery and stuff and so it's a great privilege for him to be in the presence of this doctor and so at first and this was this I thought was interesting he's very quick and I thought convincingly so to endear himself to the doctor because the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, he's able to hold his own next to Frankenstein. He manages to convince Frankenstein to let him be his assistant. I'll let you walk around with me and let me show you the place. And so that's when he takes him with her, along with the mute, Sarah, on his rounds through the asylum. And so we get to meet the different characters in there. That
1: house is my own special patients. I shall continue to... Treat them myself. Special in what way, sir? In that they interest me. I see. Shall I be allowed to see them?
0: Why not? Herr Schneider, the red disc indicates that the patient is dangerous. And I thought this was clever writing too, and as soon as he opens the door, it shows an empty cell. But the camera view through the, is through the window outside the building, through into the cell, and we see that the bars have been mangled and bent back. And he says, uh, this guy in here, uh, what was his name? Schneider or, or?
1: I don't know. I don't remember. But he was just like this super, super strong guy, and that's why the bars are bent. He was able to escape, but his cell was like 30 feet above the ground. So um, he fell supposedly to his death to he tells him he died at first, well, I think. Well,
0: he says he fell down to his death and it was kind of his body, but his body wouldn't quit. And so he gave him, the guy wanted to die. He gave him a whole bunch of sedatives, drugs and whatever, and brought him back to the lab. And he tells him that it, it took him four days or something before he finally passed on and that his body is buried out in the cemetery, which they keep by the insane asylum. You know, come to think of it. There are a lot of movies we've seen where there is a cemetery right next to and attached to and somehow associated with this insane asylum. Yep. That's pretty messed up. Is that a real historical thing?
1: <laughs> I don't know, but you're right. We have seen it in several movies.
0: Oh. Anyway, yeah, so uh, so that, that that's this guy's story. Um, he's not there. <laughs> Supposedly dead. Right. Uh, and then he moves on to another room, and we meet the professor who's sitting there playing a violin, and Simon is really taken with his song. Well, what is this? I don't think I've heard this piece. And he says, well, it's, it's Angel. I wrote it for Angel. And everybody, all the inmates in the asylum are taken by Sarah, and her nickname there is Angel. Right. And so it seems like she just has this magical quality about her that no matter what's going on, just her very presence is able to calm people down.
1: She's the perfect woman. She's sweet and pretty and she doesn't talk. (laughs) Just kidding. I I
0: would agree with you, but my wife's probably going to listen to this (laughs) later. So I don't need need her hearing that.
1: I'm obviously just kidding. But like, that's kind of how... She's presented like you know, she doesn't speak. She's very beautiful and she's just so helpful.
0: Oh, like yeah. she can do is anything,
1: the doctor's assistant too, but she's also obviously very compassionate with all of these other inmates, which, and so I assumed she was an inmate as well. And honestly, I'm really not sh- certain. In the end, whether she was or she not. She
0: kind of is, because we learn later.
1: She, Yeah, she has a backstory that we learn later.
0: Right? That's right. I'll, all right, I'll save that for later. <laughs> There's a reason she's mute, and apparently the doctor right. knows how to fix that there's apparently a way to fix that but he's not doing it <laughs> anyway uh so then there the, the so the professor's written a song and he also has mathematical equations all over the walls simon understands music well but he doesn't understand math he hates math and the guy says oh if, if only you could understand what's on the wall you would see it's just as beautiful it's like poetry it's just as beautiful as the music i'm playing and so we leave him And uh, wonder why, what's wrong with this guy? And uh, the only thing is that Dr. Frankenstein tells us, yeah, he had a couple violent episodes, right, in the past.
1: Yeah, and he says, um, next time you see the director, be sure to ask him about the time that the professor attacked him and why. Mm -hmm. And that is significant later on, even though it's just kind of thrown away here. Um, But yeah, so there's the professor, and he's... (sighs) I'm feeling really guilty about what I
0: said about Sarah. She's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) There goes Craig backtracking on one of his jokes.
1: (laughs) I know. It was was a really in poor taste joke.
0: This woman. Anyway. Well, we might as well say that. I mean, the actress was a Bond girl. He was uh, in Live and Let Die, Roger Moore's very first Bond girl. And she was in some oh. way sexier roles than this uh, before this film. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. That's why She's was very beautiful. i surprised she didn't do nudity here. but
1: Well, and it kind of, I don't know, kind of surprises me that if she had that level of uh, experience that she would take a mute role in a hammer picture.
0: But well, what? I mean, Ooh, I think she did the Bond before. role. I don't was know. Was it before this? I think it was after this. Madeline Smith, by the way, is her name. Um, and I think before this, she was in a couple other Hammer movies. One of those was The Vampire Lovers, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, she was in Theater well, of Blood. I, I,
1: you know, she is mute. She she speaks, I think, like one word or something at the end. But she's on screen almost all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> she's a major character. But then this the, the another guy that they meet is this guy. Another very gentle sympathetic type older gentleman who um has all of these uh carvings in his room and helder asks what's wrong with him and he says oh well you know he was a a genius skilled craftsman but then his brain just atrophied like <laughs> okay <laughs> and so he can't do it anymore and like
0: um, it's so funny too, because he's got this little wooden carving, and as though this is the very first time he's ever seen Zara, he yeah. hands it over to her and she takes it as like this special gift. Like, come on.
1: <laughs> I, uh, I, that's one of the things that I liked about this part of the movie. Both of those characters, the professor and this guy, the craftsman, were very sympathetic. I felt bad for them. Yeah. You know, they were just locked in these tiny concrete cells. And they clearly had a desire for human connection. They were particularly drawn to Sarah, not in a lecherous way at all. And um, I felt that
0: for Well, them. you know, and I, I actually, I also was really impressed with the way Simon dealt with them. He was super professional, seemed also like very caring. True. Really the same with Victor Frankenstein in this part of the movie, where they all come across as genuinely caring about these patients. And uh, competent and sort of professional. You know, it's not like in a lot of these movies where it's, you know, these guys are just beat around and mistreated by people who don't know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, but see, I would say that even in these scenes where Frankenstein is very professional, but he seems to have a more academic interest in the patients than a human interest. That's true. And I think that's important. And Simon's, (laughs) to be fair,
0: although I did say Simon is more sympathetic, he's not that far off, right? I mean, he also seems to be a little more focused on academia and maybe a little less humanly. I don't know.
1: Right, but the thing is, okay, so what it comes down to basically is eventually, you know, I don't know if Helder suspects something's going on or what, but he's kind of snooping around and he finds Frankenstein's secret lab. He finds Sarah coming out of it. and. He goes in and he starts looking around and Sarah runs and gets Frankenstein. so Frankenstein's there too and basically
0: what he sees,
1: Helder gets him to confess what he's doing right.
0: Yeah, that's right. What he sees will gets him suspicious that something's going on as he wakes up and early one morning and he sees it uh, down below, they're carrying a coffin by um, a gr- the graveyard to bury it and uh, somebody slips and the coffin spills open. Inside of it is the craftsman guy, but his hands have clearly mm-hmm. been cut off. Yep. And uh, quickly they close it up and go. And so he's like, that's weird. And then you're right. He explores and finds um, Frank. And Frankenstein's furious. He walks in. And, you know, actually, I really like the design of Frankenstein's little secret room. Yeah. Because, it, it, like, if you were to even stumble into it, in fact, when he first walks into it, it seems kind of like, oh, it's like a dining room right There's a little fireplace there, there's a a long table that you might eat at. There's some scientific equipment on you know a couple of the tables, but nothing really big and then some curtains on the other end of the room. but that long looks like a like a dinner table has straps hanging down below it <laughs> that are like attached to the table that it took me a second to notice. actually, it wasn't until the second camera swipe around that I realized it had those straps hanging down. That was a nice touch, I thought it was kind of an interesting design. It wasn't your standard. You know, you'd expect okay, the secret room is going to look like a freaking madman's, right. you know, lair, and it wasn't that at all. No, or maybe they just didn't have the budget for it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know, um, but it, it it almost seems as though when Helder sees that body and sees that his hands are missing, and Frankenstein had made. A big deal about oh have you ever look at his hands have you ever seen hands like that yeah hands like that like <laughs> he'd made a huge deal out of it's it true and when the coffin gets dropped it's frankenstein that like sh- you know shadily like looks around and makes sure it gets closed up again i think that's what makes him suspicious and as it turns out he's right and basically frankenstein just confesses to him and And shows him the monster,
0: right? Yeah, but you know what? I really liked this moment. I mean, when you talk about Peter Cushing's performance being a little flat, I felt like there was a look. There was a very strong, intense exchange between the two of them before he finally relents and swings open that curtain to show the monster. But it was kind of like just his eyes went through about three different stages and finally were like, okay, if this is what you want, I'll show you. Right, and, and and he does. And the monster. Okay, so this is where David Prowse comes in. So at least he comes in a little earlier in the film. Here we're we're almost an hour in of an hour and a half film, and God, he, <laughs> the costume is terrible.
1: Oh, it's awful. He it looks like a it looks like a costume shop Bigfoot costume. Yeah, or something. and why
0: why really why bad. is it covered in hair? I I, I do not for the life oh, of no. me understand why he kind of looks like a gorilla and it doesn't move very well. And his face, it is like a mask to the point where his mouth doesn't move at all when he talks. And so he has to kind of grunt when he talks or he he only says like small words and he says them quietly and slowly. And that's the only way it's kind of convincing that this is a real mouth. (laughs) Right
1: and there are little eye holes for his eyes initially he doesn't have eyes oh, yeah. um because as it turns out the, the the monster is that big guy who broke out of his cell yep. um and and frankenstein says well you know i sedated him so they would think he was dead but then i brought him back and or something i don't know but when he had fallen out of um the cell he had landed on like a spiked fence or something so his eyeballs had gotten popped out and i guess his hands had been messed up or whatever and they've already sewn the craftsman's hands onto him but helder's like Uh, oh, it doesn't look like he did a very good job <laughs> and frankenstein's like well i'm still a brilliant surgeon in my mind but and he pulls his gloves off and his hands are all burned i don't know if that's if there's a backstory there from a previous entry in the series must i don't be. know must be um but he can't he says he can't do that kind of delicate work, so he's just been Sarah's been doing it under his instruction. But uh, Helder fixes it, he fixes the hands, um, and now he's going to be the new guy. And they need the I guess he already has some eyeballs,
0: right? You mean, well, you mean he fixes the monster's hands,
1: yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, yes, yes,
0: yeah. He, he fixes the monster's hands. And in this scene where he fixes the monster's hands, I think this is where he first proves himself, right? Like, yeah, I can do this. I don't think it was in the version that we saw, but there is a deleted bit from this scene that sometimes shows up where Peter Cushing's character, Frankenstein, bites down on one of the veins in his arm to kind of clamp it while Simon does his surgery. And apparently that was a little too gross for some people.
1: (laughs) I read about that. And that's funny because I read about it and then I was looking for it in the movie and then I forgot all about it. It didn't happen. I also read that supposedly it was human blood that they were using for those effects.
0: That's weird i mean if that's true oh my gosh why Ugh, what come on why would you do that i know gross Yeah, super gross. <laughs> well the movie is gory for its time from now it's kind of cute to think that people thought this was really gory but it, it's still gory i mean there's still some blood gushing and some open wounds and severed arms and hands and Eyeballs. My, my, my wife right. would be grossed out at it she doesn't like that kind of stuff uh yeah we're, we, the eyeballs kind of harken back to the beginning right because when he was in his lab when simon was in his little makeshift lab kind of doing his own experiments he had a whole jar full of eyeballs
1: <laughs> I, I feel like the crux of the conflict in the movie is that simon held her admires doctor frankenstein and and wants to emulate and continue his work but in working with him he finds him to be unethical and he has a problem with that yeah. because as it turns out you know frankenstein's special patients he's basically farming them mm-hmm. you know like he's he's farming the different parts that he wants and it's a little bit vague as to whether or not he is actually killing these people for their parts or if he's just setting up scenarios for them to die so he can get their parts because um after the hands and the eyes and i think like i said i think they just had eyes on hand yeah, they went to the eye <laughs> shop i don't remember them taking them. yeah they didn't take them from anybody but after that he's like now all he needs is another brain preferably the brain of a genius well you won't find one here except of course the professors but he seems perfectly fit he could live
0: for another 10 years more he could indeed you wouldn't kill him you think i would do that
1: and then in the very next scene A guard finds the professor hung by his own violin strings. And when that's reported to Frankenstein in Simon's presence, Frankenstein's like, oh. Well, I guess the brain problem's fixed. Then.
0: <laughs> Very nonchalantly, right? <laughs> Too nonchalantly. Right. But later, Simon finds a note. Um, he, the, the violin that he played is, in, is sitting there in a violin case in Frankenstein's lab, and there's some papers crumpled up kind of inside the case. And he pulls out one of them, and he opens it up and looks at it. And it is his chart, I guess, or whatever, his records. And Frankenstein had written at the bottom of it, Incurable. And so Simon approaches him and said, did you just leave this out for him to see, you know, to cause him to do this? And Frankenstein's a little cagey about it, but finally he more or less admits to it.
1: Uh Well, and that's the thing. Like, Simon was doing these things, too, but he was taking dead bodies from a cemetery. He wasn't harvesting things from live people. Yeah. He seems to be bothered by that. Not bothered enough to not continue on with it at this point. They do the brain transplant, which is hilarious.
0: Oh, this brain transplant is awesome.
1: of brain transplants. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the whole idea of brain transplants is silly. But, I mean, this scene was great. I mean, they just linger. They take every step. Remember Eyes Without a Face? You remember that one? Yeah. Where we saw the Uh face removal in great detail, the face transplant surgery? This was kind of the same. I was thinking about that where they you know they cut through the skull and the blood's coming down he's you know dabbing that away and then they dr- saw the skull and then they take the skull cap off and the brain is there and the doctor's like i mean what does this take 10 minutes <laughs> he's holding the brain he's like now sever it right here and now sever these nerves over here and the whole time just this brain with Frankenstein's hand on it is front and center in all of its gory detail up close in the middle of the screen
1: it kind of looked like macaroni and cheese. Yeah,
0: <laughs> did it make you hungry? <laughs> uh, it
1: it didn't look real, but it looked like it was it was fun effects, yes. and it was bloody and gory, yeah. and you know. It, it, I don't. I liked it. I did. I enjoyed it a lot. But I mean, it's just so silly, you yeah. know. Like they're just they're wearing these big like auto mechanic rubber gloves <laughs> and just you know handling the brain and like dropping it into a little vat of like bubbling water. Four
0: snips and it's out, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Just
1: and he just Frankenstein will just like pick it up and like admire it and like he's like, oh, this is. <laughs> And then they, they do end up putting it in the monster.
0: Yeah, that was great, too. Because because it, it's, it's got, again, them putting it in the monster. And then the camera pans down to a big bowl that they have at the bottom where they're throwing their bloody rags into. And all you see is that bowl and Frankenstein's feet. And then he tosses a bloody rag down there. And then the brain, just like the, the old brain from the monster, just flops down in there like they yeah. don't give a shit. And then
1: he drips <laughs> over it. And, then, <laughs> and like... St- kick like <laughs> frustratedly like kicks it away like stomps on it and kicks it away
0: it's yeah kicks it away it's so funny
1: <laughs> but that's when the movie actually got more interesting to me because it works i mean it's ridiculous you know the they say he's gonna wake up in 10 days but really he wakes up in 10 seconds and he's fully conscious and aware and Prowse under all of this latex the, really kind of the only thing that you can see of him, aside from his hulking body, is his eyes. And he does a good job of acting with his eyes. When the monster wakes up, yes. because he's had the brain transplant, now he is the professor in this big disgusting body and he looks and he sees his hairy torso and he sees that his hands aren't his hands and he feels his face and he gets up and he looks in the mirror and he's obviously distraught as you would be and I felt bad for him and that's something that I liked about the movie was that it did play much like the book where the monster is a victim in all of this. Yeah. Um, didn't ask for this, didn't want this, and and really is just being used at, literally as a science experiment. And, uh, yeah.
0: It's really hammered home because he, he doesn't get up and smash the lab, you know, apart in in anger. He sits there with his head in his hands, crying and saying, why, mm-hmm. why? And then Frankenstein, you know, walks up. Who am I? Doctor Victor. You've done it. And this young man? Doctor And who is this? Angel. You've done it. You've made it work. You've done it.
1: We did it. The three of us. No, you did. Baron Frankenstein. No one else. No one has ever done this before. No one in this world. Now perhaps they'll accept and understand what I'm trying to achieve. Of course they will. Let's drink to that.
0: They're having this whole conversation, 12 feet away from the monster, where he's far in the background with his head in his hands, and congratulating and patting each other on the back, and then they walk out of the room and just leave him there. Right. It's so sad. And then they begin training him, like, oh, we we're going to teach you, you know, I guess things just aren't quite working right and well for him. So he's kind of kind of learned things over again, even like math and stuff. And so, uh, you know, that he's pushing him to learn all this stuff and to write all, all these math equations. And the monster just looks at him and says, eat, I'm hungry. And he's like, I'll feed you later. And he smashes the blackboard. And. Frankenstein's like, oh, okay, well maybe we can get you some food now <laughs> uh-huh. Then Victor says that he's failed. he says what's happening is the opposite of what I thought instead of the brain learning to control the body, the body is rejecting the brain and so his brains is just deteriorating and eventually it's going to be nothing and this whole experiment is lost that's that's his thing but
1: there's a solution.
0: oh there is indeed a solution so in the next scene sarah is asleep next to the monster and simon wakes her up comes in and wakes her up with a kiss to the forehead and the monster's eyes he's laying down too the monster is but his eyes happen to be open and he sees this happen and he gets angry Simon ushers Sarah out of the room and then there's this great little fight scene with a great jump scare where Simon uh, as soon as Simon's ushered Sarah out of the room, he throws a giant bottle across the room at him which shatters on his wall and I jumped and then he picks up this broken bottle and is approaching Simon with it trying to stab him. Finally, the monster gets subdued by Frankenstein in this amazing, amazing action movie (laughs) sequence. Where 59 year old Peter Cushing leaps up onto the table, jumps onto the back of this monster, and puts a coat over his head and wrestles him to the ground. He's, he's got some chloroform or something in the coat that he uses to put him out. But oh my gosh, man, this guy <laughs> jumping onto uh, six foot six uh, David Prowse and wrestling him to the ground. I was like, oh, be careful. He looks so frail. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Peter Cushing
1: is just dwarfed by this guy. I mean, it makes him look like a tiny, tiny little person. But, yeah, they get him subdued again. And Frankenstein tells the whole, you know, the body is taking over the brain or whatever. And he's like, but, you know, the brain and the body can be regenerated or something. And Simon's like, oh, really? How? And he's like, well, if we mate him and – Simon's like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, if we mate him, then like his brain and body will be passed on into a new form and blah, blah, blah. And Simon's like, mate him with who? And he's like, well, Sarah.
0: Duh. <laughs> Ew. Sarah. I know. It, 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 first, you're going, oh, my God, this is disgusting. But it gets worse. <laughs>
1: well, see, in that, it, at, at this point, we already know that Frankenstein is is unhinged and completely unethical, but this is just what seals the deal. And I think it's what seals the deal for Simon too. That's right. He doesn't vocally object too much, but it's obvious that he's not going to allow this to happen. I think that he says, I'm going to tell the prison director and that's where we get sarah's backstory it turns out that the prison director is sarah's dad and that he had tried to rape her which is the trauma that caused her to be mute and i like first of all that's a disgusting backstory and secondly why on earth would she stay there and work in the asylum for her rapey dad like
0: yeah yeah that doesn't ring true
1: I guess Frankenstein is protecting her or something. I, using her really is more like it, but nonetheless. yeah. But Helder, Simon is going to put an end to it. You know, he's not going to let it happen. So he poisons the monster and then he goes to stab the monster, but Sarah shows up and screams. They lock him in the lab and she tells him, she tells Simon to go get help. And so he goes off But then Frankenstein returns. He's been out on an errand or something. And he walks in the lab and we see the monster kind of like rear up and roar or something. But then it cuts away. So we don't really know what happened to Frankenstein. And then we see the monster outside digging up a grave. It turns out that he's digging up his body the professor's body i don't know why just to see it i guess but there's chaos at the asylum all of the inmates are you know running around and the monster is you know once he's dug up his grave then he breaks in and he kills the director which good that guy was an asshole anyway
0: that's a pretty gory scene
1: yeah he stabs him or cuts he cuts his throat yeah and then the guards find the monster and shoot him and this is in front of all of the inmates And the monster reaches out a hand to Sarah and I I don't remember if he says help or if he just reaches out and she goes to reach out to him too but the inmates somebody in the background, I don't know if it was one of the guards or one of the other inmates, somebody in the background screams, he's going to kill her. And so all of the inmates attack him and literally tear him to
0: pieces. Yeah, they're throwing bits of him everywhere. They all kind of back away and he's just there in a big kind of gory mess.
1: Yeah. And ultimately it's sad. Again, he didn't ask for this. Yes, he's committed some violent but mostly either in self-defense or just for being angry for the way that he's being treated. I felt bad for him. Frankenstein runs in and, and we see that there must've been a tussle with him and the monster because he's kind of injured, but he's okay. And he sends all the patients back to their rooms and says, It's all over now. You know, everybody go back to your rooms, whatever. And then the last scene is just Frankenstein and Helder in the lab. And Frankenstein keeps talking about, oh, yeah, well, that poor guy is probably better off. Getting killed, being dead is the best thing that could have happened to him. But next time, we'll do it different. Next time will be better. And Helder's like next time he's like oh yeah next time you know
0: <laughs> and
1: that's 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 really where the movie ends <laughs> like yeah it's just over with frankenstein obviously still crazy planning on doing this again how many times has he done this and failed at this point like he even says at one point when the monster wakes up he's like oh i haven't felt this good since the first time oh that was so long ago like <laughs>
0: dude
1: Get a new hobby.
0: (laughs) You know, science is all about experimentation, Craig, and uh, consistency, and uh, you have to fail, fail so many times before you can finally succeed. So uh, he's actually being a very good scientist in this way. Just uh, if he had some morals and had a different, you don't know, study a cure for cancer or something (laughs) like that and not this, it would have been better. So do
1: you know anything about Frankenstein versus Sherlock Holmes or vice versa. I don't remember which one it was.
0: No, but that sounds awesome. What is this?
1: Well, it's, I just saw when I was looking at IMDB and I was looking at what the actors have been in Shane Bryant, who plays Dr. Helder reprises the role of Dr. Helder in Frankenstein versus Sherlock Holmes again, or vice versa. And it was slated to come out in 2016. It looks like it was filmed. I think there may even be a trailer. No way. But I don't think it ever came out.
0: It says, and I'm looking it up right now, Sherlock Holmes versus Frankenstein says it's in development. I don't know. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. All I know is this was the last one. Not only was this the last Frankenstein movie that Hammer did, but uh, also uh, Terrence Fisher, the guy who directed it, directed like 50 or 60 movies for Hammer, and this was his very last before he died. Um, not long after this movie. I think it was like eighty, eighty-one, something like that. And then the franchise kind of died and Hammer kind of fell through. You might remember they also tried to do something wacky with their vampire series and, and team up with the Shaw Brothers, and they did that Seven Golden Vampires. Remember that one?
1: Oh, yeah, we did that one. Uh-huh.
0: That was a fun... I mean, it was fun to talk about. It's kind of a yeah. goofball movie, but... Yeah, um, they tried really, really hard, but none of that really succeeded, and so... Uh, That all kind of came to a close, and we didn't get to see Peter Cushing playing Frankenstein. I've only seen The Curse of Frankenstein, and that was a long time ago. And then, of course, the movie before this that didn't have Peter Cushing in it. Yeah, I would kind of be interested in seeing what the other sequels were like, at least one or two others, just to see, like you said, it can't be just the same story over and over again. I mean, they must have done some other stuff with it, so I'm curious to see what that was, but... I'll never convince you to sit down and watch another one, but <laughs> probably not. <laughs> it's okay. We can go to the horror vampire ones. Uh, we can go to the hammer anthologies, which are quite good. We can do a lot of hammer stuff that is going to make you roll your eyes.
1: <laughs> I, uh, I didn't love this movie. You know, I it, it pretty much was what I expected it to be, and and that's fine. But if I had to, you know, identify a favorite part, it would be Proust. Um, I yeah. I think that it was a pretty captivating performance in some small moments, and I really did feel sympathy for the monster. I felt bad for him. I felt ultimately he was the victim. In this whole thing, it's not like there were any kind of major differences, but he played it differently before and after the brain transplant. Before the brain transplant, he was just kind of brutish. Um, and then after he was sad and, and a little bit softer. Now, there were moments where he exploded and they, they had said the professor had violent tendencies. They just didn't come out very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was in keeping with his character that he would have these, you know, blow ups or whatever. Um, but there was some subtlety in the performance yeah. and even under all that makeup and either under that hideous mask, just even in his eyes, there was some subtlety to his performance. And uh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed his performance, the movie I could take or leave, but I'm glad that I saw it for his performance
0: oh yeah i mean the as much nuance as you can get under that heavy costume with that horrible mask and and everything and the script you're right uh, this was the only part of the movie for me that i felt any real emotion <laughs> yeah. and the rest of it was kind of well you know it's just it's not bad it's just a story and uh, it's right. well told by a lot of you know talented actors and beautiful sets and things like that but and it's got its moments of thematic horror <laughs> yeah, as well yeah. as some gruesomeness to it as well. You know, it's just got a little bit of everything in there. And I think probably for the time it was a lot more shocking than it is for us today. Sure. Otherwise sure. it's kind of a slow burn. I mean, you've got to kind of be in the mood for a lot more drama than you're going to get horror right. in a movie as well as many of the films like this, to be honest. So, yeah. But but David Prowse is a standout in this whole thing, along with Peter Cushing. I really like Peter Cushing. And then you know as fate would have it the two of them would walk right off this set and walk straight into star wars and uh Mm -hmm. that would be the thing that uh that puts him on the map and uh good for him good for him well, thank you so much for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this, please share with a friend. We have a few more episodes coming up where we're going to be paying tributes to a couple other um, industry people that we lost last year. So stay tuned for that. You can find us online and leave us a note and a comment somewhere on our Facebook page or on our website. Just Google two guys in a chainsaw and you ought to be able to find us. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys in a chainsaw.